Well, I'm excited to speak to you and talk to you about Jesus. He is the one that brings us life. And I get to speak to you today about what I know to be true because Jesus has personally revealed the truth of who he is to me. You know, today, if you watch the news, um, if you watch social media, or if you listen to the radio, you're going to hear about a lot of scary things that can kill you. For example, our own governor on Friday was trying to scare everybody by saying that we're in a dangerous time with COVID-19 because of the Delta variant. And he was saying that he's very concerned for our children. But is that true? Is all that true? You know, the current death rate of COVID-19 right now is 1.7% nationally. And the amount of deaths among children since the beginning of the pandemic, according to the CDC, is only 361 individuals between zero and 17 years of age. While that is extremely sad for those families, that's, only, that's a very small percentage of, of the 600,000-plus uh, uh, deaths that have happened nationally since the start of the pandemic. So it's a very low statistic. According to um, our state's website, about 62% of all of Illinois' population has, above 12 years old has been fully vaccinated. And above 65 in our state, we are about 81% vaccinated. So I ask you, are we really in that much danger from COVID-19, uh, as the governor says? Or is he really in a lot of danger with the teachers union? I don't know. The facts of his own health department and the CDC website seem to disagree with his statements. So, so why does the press report his words of panic when the facts don't necessarily match? Is it because for the media, fear sells better? You know, I'm concerned for the children of our state as well. I'm concerned that they are growing up in a world where they're being manipulated by fear rather than the truth. So folks, I'm going to give you the truth right now. And I'm not doing it to scare you, but here's the truth. 100% of you are going to die. Now, I know that to be true because I found it on the internet. It, there was a chart, and I, I showed it this morning, and I can put it up later, but it, it was from a PhD, so it must be true. <laughs> Actually, the Bible says that because sin entered the world, we're all going to die. And on this chart, it, it shows the 10 leading causes of death by sex uh, in the United States. Um, and uh, there's a pie chart that shows the percentages of how we all are going to die as Americans. And I will explain this to you, um, for those of you who can't see the chart right now, about 20% 20, 20 of us are going to die from cancer. And, you know, we spent $3.6 last year on COVID-19, and we only spent $5.6 on cancer. And about 24% of men and 21% of women are going to die from heart disease. And, um, you know, we spent about $2.9 only on that last year. You know, dudes, 7.6 of us are going to die from what they call unintentional inju injuries. 
You know the stupid stuff we do? You know, when we say, honey, hold my beer and watch this, we're going to die from stuff like that. Women, you have a lot more sense than us guys, so only 4% of you are going to die from that, so you're not going to compete so much with us for the Darwin Award. Now, there's a category here on this chart. It's one of the largest categories, and it says other. You know, and I don't know what other is. Uh, I mean, is other Jason from Halloween? I mean, it's the biggest category, and we don't even know what other is. It's like a horror movie. The others are coming. Aliens from another planet. You know, really, the news shows and the Internet and, and the governor need to find out what this other is. Instead of scaring our kids, Governor Pritzker, get on this other thing, because it's really starting to freak me out. Friends, here's the truth. All these percentages add up to 100% thing that we're all going to die. That's the fact, Jack. So we need to make a new plan, Stan. Instead of spending all of our time and money and, and thought worrying and obsessing about what percentage of what is going to get us, we need to get on the good news bus, Gus, and we better listen to Jesus tell us about a 100% reliable plan for us to live forever with him. See, the truth is none of us know how we're going to die, and we all waste way too much time of our lives listening to the doomsaying prophets of this world, giving us their myths and their percentages. And you know, there's only one person that can tell us how to live, and that's Jesus Christ. Our message today is fully awake. And friends, let's not waste any more time in our lives being asleep in the rumors of our untimely death. But instead, let's awaken to the truth of everlasting life in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, let's spend our minds and let's put our hearts thinking about the transfiguration that's in Luke 9, 28 through 36. In this experience, the Apostle Peter awakened to the 100% reality of the truth of life in Jesus Christ. In 2 Peter um, chapter 1, verse 16, he said this, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses to his majesties. I have, and I'm sure some of you that are listening today, have seen and know the reality of Jesus. And he's much more real and relevant than anything on the news or on the internet today. In um, verse, uh, in Luke chapter 9, verse 28, it says this, Now about eight days after these things, he took Peter with him and John and James, and they went up on the mountain to pray. Now this was eight days after Peter's revelation that Jesus was the promised Son of God, and that their master, Jesus, knew he was going to die. He had known that before the foundations of the earth. He was the one person that knew when he was going to die. And he was committed to it. He, he was headed to Jerusalem, and the disciples had committed themselves to follow him to his death. And even though Jesus was literally walking to his death and that the crowd had left him, he was taking three men close with him 
under his wing to invest his life into them up on a mountain to pray. Now, these men would be the leaders to carry on his mission. Let me ask you a question. Do you spend time investing your life into other people? Or do you spend time thinking about how you're going to die? Or are you going to think about how you're going to invest your life into people that are going to take on and make this world a better place when you're gone? See, the process of discipling others is investing your life in others instead of worrying about how to preserve your life. That's what Jesus did. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever would lose his life for my sake will save it. You know, currently each week I invest my life into at least three men. Praying for them. Teaching them. Spending time with them. And trying to replicate the gospel in them. Who are you investing your life in right now? To be fully awake in your faith is to recognize that you are going to die. And you need to start investing your life in someone else so that they can bring this gospel of life to the next generation. You know, why did Jesus bring these particular three men? Because of the weight of the responsibility they would each need to carry. For each would have to face their own death without recanting the truth of his gospel. Because they would each be, um, face their death and, 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 and be martyred for their faith. And, and, and this was so that the gospel could go forth to, to reach us in future generations. Now Luke doesn't show, share with us what mountain they went up to pray on. But he de- does tell us why he went with these guys to be a, with, to, to, why he went with them up on the mountain. He went there to, to pray with them and, and to be alone. For us to be woke to the revelation of life that's in Jesus Christ, we must get alone with him and pray. Beloved, we are often more awake with our eyes closed in prayer than the, when they are open every day of our lives. When we are alone with God in his word and in prayer, he awakens our heart to the reality of who he is. See, the real fullness of life and and the transformation that is in Christ comes not just when we're in church on Sunday morning, but as our minds are renewed each day when we get alone with God in prayer. If you want to know God, tomorrow, get alone and, and read his word Till something inspires you. Then pray. Just, just talk to God. And he will start to reveal more to you about who he is. In verse 29 it says, As he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered. And his clothing became dazzling white. Notice, as they prayed, they got woke. Something, they were woke to something that was already there. The glory of God in Jesus Christ was revealed to them. See, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, according to Hebrews 13.8. Christ's glory was dimmed in his human form to their understanding, but he has always existed. Jesus never lost his glory. At every moment, Jesus was always fully God, and he was fully man. While Jesus is unchanging... We are changed as his glory 
is revealed to us. It's like we go from spiritual death to spiritual life as our understanding of him grows. We start to understand who he truly is. And then we become fully awake as we become alive in him. Ephesians 2 in, in, in the Bible says this, we are dead in our trespasses and sins, but we, be, we are made alive in Christ. Friends, we must pray so that the reality of his life is displayed to us and in us. Our own fears, our fear is what makes us dead because fear is sin. So we must turn to the Lord in our fears. 2 Corinthians um, 3.16 says, But when one turns to the fear, a veil is removed. Now, the Lord is spirit. And when the spirit of the Lord is there, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, behold the glory of the Lord and are transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. From this comes the Lord, who is spirit. And as the disciples were praying with Jesus, they saw the true spiritual reality. They saw who he was. It was illuminated to him. See, Jesus is the, the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That's Hebrews 1.3. Now Luke tells us his clothing became a dazzling white. That word dazzling in the Greek means to flash out like the sun. See, in Exodus 34, it says that when Moses came down off the mountain after speaking with God, his face was aglow. It was shining. See, Moses was simply reflecting the light or the glory of God to the Israelites. And the Israelites became afraid. So Moses put a veil on his face when he spoke to the people. And then he took off the veil when he spoke with God. The idea, though, here for Jesus is that he was the source of the light. Even his clothes radiated and transmitted the light. Jesus is the light of the world. And he's also the eternal light of heaven. In Revelations 21, 23... It says this, and um, the city has no need for the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And the disciples, they were praying, and they were being awakened to the true reality of their friend's nature. In verse 30, it says, behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. In this new reality that was revealed to him, things were different. There were men who existed in, in ages past, Moses and Elijah. Moses, who had lived 1,400 years before, and Elijah, 900 years before. And they were having a, a, a conversation with Jesus in a, in a glorified form. This, this proves that God does give men eternal life. Philippians 3, 21 says, Who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Why, why these two men and not some other prophets of old? Well, both men had unusual departures from this world. Elijah represents... Um, someone that God translated directly into heaven. He, he went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Moses died, and, and God himself 
buried him according to the scriptures. And no one ever found where he was buried. But it was probably not how they departed that mattered, but what their lives represented. Moses' life represented the law of God to the children of Israel. And Elijah represented all the prophets as one of the greatest. And, and they also both had mountaintop experiences with God where they had been awakened to the reality of his presence. Moses was a man who spoke with God. God allowed his presence to pass before Moses so that he could show Moses his goodness and his mercy. God also revealed his presence to Elijah when Elijah was discouraged after fleeing his enemies and arrived on a mountaintop. God's presence, he found, was not in a rushing wind or in an earthquake or in a fire, but in a low whisper that gave Elijah strength and purpose again. Both men learned firsthand the reality of a God who loved them and showed them personally his goodness to them. And now here they were talking to Jesus. And what were they talking about? Paul wrote in Romans 5.8 what they were talking about, that God shows his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, Moses is not on a mountain to clarify things with Jesus about the Nephilim and who they were. Elijah is not there to ask, when are you going to come down and, and deal and judge with all the wicked leaders in Israel like Herod? Neither was asking for clarification about the foods that could be eaten, like when are we going to be able to eat bacon? These representatives of the law and the prophets were only concerned with one thing, when was Jesus going to die? Why? Because that was the reason for all the law and the prophets. In Matthew 5.17, Jesus said he came to fulfill all the law and the prophets. In 2 Corinthians 1.20, he said all the promises of God find their yes in him. Jesus is the one all the prophets had spoken about. Jesus is the only one righteous enough to keep the God, law of God. See, they represented all the scriptures up till this point. Moses and Elijah are excited for Jesus to accomplish his departure. They knew Jesus was humanity's only hope. But they also both knew that Jesus was their only hope and the only hope for everybody that they loved. Moses knew the law could not save him, even though he had written it down. He himself had broken it, and he could not find perfection through it. Hebrews 10, 1 through 4 says this, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they would not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers have once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. When Jesus died on the cross, he took away our sins once and for all, something goats and bulls could never do. Moses and Elijah had only achieved their glorified perfection on this day by believing in what Jesus 
God's only Savior would do. They looked forward to what Jesus was going to do on the cross with much hope, as much hope as we look back on what he did. It was Moses who, under the Holy Spirit, first wrote down God's promise of deliverance from our sin and from Satan in the gospel, the first gospel, the Proto-Evangelica in Genesis 3. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Moses had written about what Christ would accomplish under the Holy Spirit in many foreshadowing ways through all of the books that he wrote in the Pentateuch. The prophets as well had hoped on Christ, written about Christ, and risked their lives for what was now about to happen. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Moses and Elijah, as even as great as Old Testament prophets as they were, did not achieve the glory of heaven on their own merit. They achieved it by faith in what Jesus would eventually accomplish in Jerusalem. There was no greater thing that these two could have talked to than the love that God had for them that was going to happen through their ancient friend, what he was going to accomplish on their behalf. See, Jesus was the fire and the bush that had encouraged Moses to go to Egypt to confront Pharaoh. Jesus was the low whisper that spoke to Elijah and his depression, encouraging him that he was not alone in Israel and to go back. Was it now that Jesus was being cheered on by his friends to finish his race, the race the Father had laid out for him? And on the climax of his journey, could, be, could they be the reminder of the joy that was set before him, that they could encourage the man, Jesus, to endure his suffering ahead? Beloved, I hope you see that the Bible does not make sense without the gospel. The point of preaching it is the gospel. It, it's not for you to have a better life. It's for you to have life through the gospel. The Apostle Paul said this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For it is in the righteousness of God for it is in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Friends, everyone in the kingdom of God has been made righteous by faith alone in what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. See, Moses and Elijah would be dead eternally without what Jesus was going to do for them in Jerusalem on the cross. And that's why they're excited to talk to him about his departure. Friends, we may, must never, never stop talking and having gospel conversations with ourselves and with others, for that's where the transforming power of life in Jesus Christ is. But sadly, in many churches today, the gospel is rarely preached. And by people in the churches, it's often just assumed Instead, what's often preached is moralism, which, friends, has no power to save you. 
obedience to a law. Here at Crosswinds, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are being called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. You know, I just heard about a worship leader who got ordained as a worship pastor, and he was not able to verbally articulate the gospel. I don't understand that. How, how's he going to lead anybody to truly worship? I, I knew a church planner that did not have the ability to share the gospel. How is he going to pastor a church? I, I, I had to teach a seminary student last year how to share the gospel. Why is that not being taught in our sem, sem, seminaries? Is it any wonder that there's no transforming life sometimes in many churches when the members and sometimes the staff don't understand the main theme and the power of God's word. Moses and Elijah are hoping by faith in a gospel that God has said will happen their whole lives. They're, they're, they're hoping by faith in a gospel that God says will happen. And now they're here trying to discuss and know the details from Jesus. Friends, the good news for us is something that has happened. And friends, it's not complicated. We have the details. The Apostle Paul has summed it up for us in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 6. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Friends, that's the gospel. Jesus departed, and he died in Jerusalem on a Roman cross. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. And then he rose alive again on the third day. And a boatload of people, over 500 people, witnessed it and believed. The question is, do you believe? And if you do, are you telling people about it? Because if you believe, you'll be fully awake in his kingdom forever. And if you don't believe, you will die eternally in hell. Moses and Elijah believed in the gospel. Even though it had not happened yet, it still had the power to save them. Friends, what kind of abundant life does Christ have available to us now that sin, death, and Satan have been defeated, have been defeated on the cross for those of us who believed? In verse 32, Peter says, and for those who were, in verse 32, it says, now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Now, now, why were Peter, James, and John sleepy? I mean, this seems to me like a pretty exciting moment. Well, well, maybe they fell asleep praying with Jesus. I mean, Jesus could commune with his father for a long time. Maybe they found the subject of his prayer unstimulating. You know, based on the conversation Peter had with Jesus a, a few days earlier, 
you know, when, uh, you know, Jesus talked about his departure, and, and based on the fact that, you know, they woke up to Jesus talking about his departure, um, Jesus was likely praying about his departure and what he would accomplish, and Peter had already expressed that he could not see the benefit of his friend's suffering, so maybe they found this whole prayer about his departure dull, and they were just really... Maybe they found it dull because these men were just not awake enough to the reality of their own sin. They, they were not awake enough to see their desperate need to be saved from it. See, without the gospel, we are dead in the horror of our own sin for which the Son of God had to die. Our pride keeps us in a slumber of self-righteousness, thinking we are doing just fine on our own, keeps us asleep. We need to be woke to the fact that we have offended the God of the universe and we need a Savior. And it's by praying that the reality of the cross in the gospel that we are reminded of how desperate our condition truly is. And when we know the personal reality that God's Son had to die for us, it will awaken a passion in our hearts of love for God. Is it possible that these disciples are only familiar with short prayers about them? God, give me. God, give me that. I need this. I need that. See, of course, Jesus could pray much longer because he prayed about the wonder of the gospel. Something that the angels, these heavenly beings, long to look at. If you're bored with the gospel, you don't understand the depth of your depravity. And also, you don't know the vastness of his amazing love for you yet. Jesus maybe put them to sleep by praising his father for his amazing love that endures forever, that he sent his only son to die. Maybe they got droopy as Jesus prayed for those to be forgiven that did not deserve to be forgiven. But by his grace, at some point, Jesus made these disciples fully awake so they were not in a dream state or seeing a vision. And Jesus was glorified in front of them as, they, as he has always been. They saw him just as he would be after the resurrection. But they also saw two men of flesh and blood from the earth that had long departed the earth, now in glorified bodies. And these three men were standing on the earth, they were not some disembodied spirits floating around. These were men in glorified physical bodies, eternal bodies, that could stand together on the earth and converse as friends. They saw the reality of the gospel, eternal lives. They not only heard a gospel conversation between Jesus, Elijah, and Moses, they saw the reality of the gospel promise in them, life eternal. In verse 33, it says, And these men, as these men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you 
and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not knowing what he, was, what he said. As usual, like me, Peter firmly places his foot in his mouth. But really, what if some of what he said was actually right? See, Luke does not write, Peter did not know what to say and was just bumbling in his words. Luke writes, Peter was not knowing what he said. It, it was kind of like when Peter declared Jesus as the Holy Son of God. Peter didn't really understand what he was saying. He had a revelation from God that, that came from God. Peter's reaction so he, shows he saw God's Shekinah glory. He saw something of God. And, 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 and in Matthew, it, it records Jesus' face was shining like the sun. See, all of Judaism had hoped that God would someday come and tabernacle or tent with his people again like he did in the book of Exodus. See, for Peter, this was unique to man, to be in the presence of God, and, and especially without fear. And he was without fear because of Jesus. See, Jesus had, or, uh, had not appeared to Moses or Elijah in his glorified form while they were alive. You know, Peter understood that this was good. He, he, he didn't know why. See, the love of the gospel had brought him peace right there in the, in the presence of God. And so Peter just wanted to camp out there. See, 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And yet Peter's in the presence of God, and he has no fear. But Peter's error was including tents for Moses and Elijah. If only Peter had remembered what it says in, in Exodus, that Moses was not able to enter the tent of the meetings because... A cloud, the Shekinah glory cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle or tent. So there's no room for men. Temples of men have always been places that eventually stoked men's pride. And see, Jesus is doing something new through the gospel that now our bodies would become the tabernacle of God where God's spirit would dwell. And that humbles us and, and, and creates greater intimacy with God. In verse 34, as he was saying things, a, a, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid. And as they entered the cloud, a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. The, the, the cloud, Matthew records, is a bright cloud, which is God's Shekinah glory. It's the same cloud that could only pass by Moses. And God's hand covered Moses in the cleft of a rock, but he could not look upon it. But to here, the Shekinah glory did not just pass by the disciples. The text says it overshadowed them. It's the same Greek phrase used by Luke when he describes what happened to Mary at Jesus' conception. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. See, friends, this kind of intimacy was not possible for the prophets of old. But I believe because of the presence of the incarnate Jesus, the disciples received a taste to become fully awake to the reality of the gospel, to see what life in the new creation would be like in God's presence. And as they were surrounded by his glory, they hear the Father's voice affirm Jesus' identity. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. You know, Peter's 
had the right idea about his identity. He had received that revelation. But his heart was struggling with God's mission for Jesus. See, I believe Peter doesn't want to believe he and, and, and mankind was so sinful that his friend Jesus had to die. Peter didn't want to believe. He didn't want to believe that, that, that Jesus was the only way. But what did God say here? He said, my chosen one. See, this was the Father's plan in Ephesians 1, um, uh, 1 through 4. It says, Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be homely, holy and blameless before him in love. See, why were they afraid? They were never afraid in Jesus' presence. I think it's because of that resistance in Peter's heart to not listen to Jesus. See, we're not afraid when we listen to God. We're afraid when we don't listen to God. And, 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 and that's why God said, listen to him. The, the, the proof is what God, that this was God's chosen plan, that Jesus is God's chosen plan is what happened next in verse 36 it says when the voice had spoken jesus was found alone and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen see after god spoke he did the ultimate mic drop his son jesus was found alone see moses or the law could not save so moses was gone Elijah or any great prophet or teacher of the world cannot save us. So Elijah was gone. In Acts 4.12 it says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Friends, there is a lot of false prophets out there. There's a lot of false news, a lot of false information in the world, which is destined dead information to make us fearful, to make us doubt. My suggestion is that we instead fill our minds, fill our hearts with what Moses and Elijah were chatting with Jesus about on the mountain. God's love for you expressed in Jesus Christ as he departed this life on the cross and what it accomplished, satisfying the debt of our sin to satisfy the wrath of a holy God who loves us, who sent him to do it so that we can know eternal life. You know, Peter did not talk about this during the rest of Jesus' life. He probably did not understand those days' events until much later in his life. But this event gave him the courage to give up his life for Christ's sake as a martyr. In 2 Peter 1, 18 through 21, near the end of his life, Peter said this, We ourselves heard this very voice born of heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. He knew the reality of eternal life. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Friends, we live in a dark world. Listen to this lamp. 
until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes to someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. See, Peter learned that God is unlike our politicians and our news outlets and our social media that lies or tries to manipulate us with fear. Instead, he learned that God loved us and he has sent prophets with the truth to help us awaken to the reality of his love. And eventually, he sent his son to perform the greatest act of love, to stretch out his arms on a cross and say, I love you this much and die for us and rise again. He sent his son, Jesus. Today, I would pray that God would make you fully awake to the goodness of a God who loved you and sent his only son to die for you on a cross. Today, I hope you have heard him through his scriptures and through the power of the Holy Spirit, that he would fully awaken your heart to the fact that Jesus walked out of the grave three days later with the promise of everlasting life and that he is alive today and that if you believe, if you repent and believe, you will be with him forever in glory. Today, are you awake? Are you listening? Repent and believe in the gospel and receive the forgiveness of your sins. Receive the free gift of everlasting life. Don't drift off listening to the false prophets. Don't drift off in the slumber of self-righteousness into hell. Humble yourself before the Lord and repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And know eternal joy. Let us pray. Dear Father, we thank you and we praise you for your goodness and mercy to us. We love you. Thank you for your amazing love. Father, if there's anybody out there listening to me right now or listening to me in the future, may they humble their hearts right now and just simply believe, wake up to your love, a love that's been spoken of from the ages that men have died to bring you the truth of that love. Let their hearts focus and dwell on the love of Jesus Christ who came to die so that they might live. Let us not focus on fear, but Lord, let let his perfect love for us Cast away our fears and let us know an eternal peace and eternal joy. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen. Thank you for anybody that's joined me this afternoon. And may God bless you. If there's any way that I can help you follow closer to Jesus and learn to share his gospel, I'm always here. Email me at ken at xwinschurch.org.